the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome. Every Wednesday, we check in with our congressman representing uh, Arizona's 6th Congressional District, soon to be representing the district we broadcast from, which we are delighted about. And that is David Schweikert. David, happy Wednesday. How are you, sir? And a blessed Wednesday to you. Thank you. Um, Listening to you a little earlier, uh, you do appreciate the irony of, okay, Supreme Court Justice is retiring. Yep. Um, The... Um, Supreme Court just accepted a couple cases in regards to race preferences. Yep. And then the president <laughs> is being pushed to keep his promise of a race preference Supreme Court justice. Yes, that's you have it right. You have it right. The replacement will be chosen only after the field is radically winnowed by open race and sex discrimination, which has gone from being illegal to celebrated in the United States. But now is heading to being in front of the Supreme Court. And in front of the Supreme Court. Exactly right. I I mean, you almost, if you think about it, you can't make some of these things up. No, no. And and as I delight in pointing out, you're just a little bit older than me, I think. (laughs) But but do you remember, honest to gosh, do you remember before the... Before the 1990s, really, any any president ever talking about needing certain representation on the court from a region or a school or an education class? I just don't remember picking that way or anyone ever I, saying I, out loud that they were picking that way. It, I'm got a little more cynical than you are. Yeah. Um, there was always that. With the, with the point. age comes cynicism, David. I, that's what yeah, I've been but, told. Yeah. But I believe there was a, that sort of tone as part of the pandering. Yeah. Um, to different groups, I agree with that. the Democrats, yeah. because, yeah. you know, they were always a coalition. Yep, party. yep. Um, I... But one of the differences we have today from 30 years ago is everything you say at this moment now is on Twitter yep. or is being broadcast. Yep. Or, so so uh, it, you're no longer speaking to local audience. That's right. Every time a national politician is in front of a camera, they're talking to a national audience. Yep. It's no longer... You know, it's no longer I'm in Phoenix. I'm just talking about Phoenix water. Such issues. an important point. Yep. Agreed. It, it, it's, it's how many it, it's like you've, you've run for office. When you walk door to door today, the door opens up and people want to talk about national issues. Yep. Because yep. they're home watching national issues on their local cable. Yep. Um, where I got to tell you, 20 years ago, the door opened up and you talk about the stoplight down yep. the street. Yep. So, so things have changed. Yep. That's a really good point. And by the way, it's something worth remembering. Uh, whenever a camera is put in front of someone or if you're on this show or you're talking to someone with a microphone, just remember, this, this, this could be international. This is not ever local anymore. Nothing ever yeah, is. It, it, and no. that's just uh, it's a combination of technology yep. and the collapse of, we'll call it mainstream news. Sure. No. Great point. Absolutely right. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something you posted on social media about ending what is seemingly a prolonged uh, emergency 
in this country. Oh, are you talking about 2025? I am. The pandemic? I am. I was told Joe Biden would shut down the virus, not the country, not the economy. Yeah. But his own legislation is saying it maybe even after he's out of office, this thing continues. Yeah, it's too important to Democrats, you know, in their fear-based view of the world. Um, You know, Okay, uh, I'm going to do this the long way. Okay, because <laughs> um, you don't have time to do it the short way, right? Remember that old yeah, joke? Well, yeah, right, right, right. But, but okay, everyone and their cousins, you know, who plays politics, uh, you know, read the bill. Yeah. All right, reading a 3,000-page bill is complicated. Yeah. It takes days and days, and it takes multiple staffers. Oh, yeah, and there's all the cross-referencing you have to look up oh, and yeah. all that. Yeah, you it's, bet. It's a complete, yeah. it's a complete yeah. fraud, and, yeah. and, but you have, a, you have a smart audience. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to fill up a pandry. So when we sit and read a bill, like I'll, I'll spend a few hours of this tonight and going over this, and you have the bill, and then you have to have a laptop next to you to look up the references mm-hmm. because it will say, we are adjusting this date to be this. Mm-hmm. Well, Okay, you got to go look at that section of law to find out what that date is that's being referenced. So yep. it's a fraud when people say, I read the bill. Okay, yeah, that's great, but you know nothing unless you have the law books and you know the, the legislative notes and everything else with you. So that, that's one of the great frauds. Well, we do this project when a big bill drops. We break up our staff and myself, and we break up the bill, and we dive into it trying to find what they call landmines. And we discovered that this um, China competitiveness bill, which is an incredible irony they put it into that bill, it's a fraud. The bill is a fraud. It's basically the Democrats handing out massive amounts of money and basically deciding we're a nationalized or socialized economy. We're going to put much of the economy like on five-year plans, um, government's going to control and manage research and development for the high-tech industry. It's just it's incredible. But woven in there was a little gem saying, hey, um, pandemic goes to 2025 unless something happens. Mm-hmm. And, and we declare it different. Because right now, they, um, HH, uh, the secretaries of, of the appropriate uh, agencies, have to renew it every six months. Ah, that's what it's about. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so look, it's a long ways to try to describe. We found it, and no one else, and we're not even a, a major committee of jurisdiction of ways to meet. And we found this. I, I just think it's there. incredible. So they bury this in Arcana that no one isolates. You find, Well, I mean, this is why it's important and why it's important for you to give those floor speeches, for you to be on social media and ideally shows like this so we can spread that around. Their concept of ending the emergency is 2025. They put it in writing. They put it in legislation. But you've got to understand, remember our rules, money, power, vanity. Yeah. But most of the time it's about the money. The number of folks who are sort of lobbying that they don't like my piece of legislation yeah. from December that's still sitting out there yeah. trying to get a hearing yeah. um, that would declare the pandemic over. You know, if you go back to you know um, uh, early summer of 2020, you know we're going to have to do all these emergency measures because we don't have therapeutics. Yep. We don't have a vaccine. Right. We don't have enough ventilators. Right. We don't have enough PPP. Okay. 
you can't say those sentences anymore, right? We have all that. Yeah. So the standards keep changing. But why do you think we have all these groups sort of lobbying to say, no, 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 keep the pandemic in place? You tell me. Money. The federal government is handing out special reimbursement, um, access to special credit lines, special this, special that, all using the pandemic as an excuse. Mm. How you know, We're now just starting to find out the scale of the fraud. I mean, it, it's potentially in the hundreds of billions of dollars of fraud um, from uh, much of the uh, economic support money that went out during this pandemic. Um, you got a whole bunch of industries and lawyers and others out there that have done really well on all this excess spending, and they don't want it to go away. Would you say on the other side of that equation, the political side uh, for a moment, as opposed to the economic side, which you, you were just very good on, but on the political side, you've been around Congress enough to see this when you, you I, I don't mean you generally, I mean you specifically, David, when you try and affect reform to such programs like Social Security and, and Medicare. You have seen the fear tactics that go up against you and your proposals and in, mm-hmm. in, in your line of thinking. Fear is really, isn't it? I mean, it's fair to say fear really is the first the first go-to for the Democratic Party, isn't uh, it? Yeah, uh, fear and emotion. Yeah. Um, and, and look, uh, we're not completely innocent on our side. Um, I, I had a woman uh, a couple of weeks back at the county Republican meeting come up to me and go, David, I don't like you. I'm going, okay, that, thank you for being so honest. Tell me why. Um, well, you just keep talking about math. <laughs> and, and she, was, she wasn't, it, it, I think she had been a little caffeinated. Um, I'm not sure she was trying to be a jerk. What she was trying to say is I'm not satiating her feelings. Uh, a couple of my brothers and sisters in the delegation talk very much to your feelings and get you all excited and get you emotional. And I give the speech saying, here's what's about to bankrupt your country. Here's the mechanism that's happening. Um, but I think for Republicans, that's the minority. Yeah. As Republicans, yeah. I believe we are, we often sound like accountants on steroids. Yeah. We're much more analytical. But... We're not judged like Democrats are. Ju- Democrats are judged by their virtue signal. Oh, yeah. By, well, they if had, they were judged they by math, they would have been, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. It no, ain't math they're gonna, judged on. Yeah. I can't tell you how many things I've it's been at where I've had, like, public debates with, you know, where the room has lots of people on the left, but they meant well. Yeah, yeah. But you made people's lives miserable, but they meant well. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a completely different mindset. And as conservatives, we need to remember what being a conservative means. It's, you know, fidelity to the Constitution, you know, fidelity to, you know, the freedom and, and the God-given right, but also fidelity to we should be judged by do our policies actually work or do they not work, not by the virtue signaling of their feelings. I agree with all of that, and that's the definition of well. That is the definition of are we doing well and are we making people feel well. And it is on that very criteria. I'm going to go back and write down that criteria you uttered, David Schweiker. Good for you. Sir, thank you. Bless you. Godspeed to you. Until next week.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Let me go in order here, and I want to thank you all for waiting. Oh, there, yes, he has been on the longest, and he is uh, a friend and no stranger to this uh, to this station. He has his own show on weekends. He is a candidate for Phoenix City Council. He is Sam Stone. Hey, Sam, how are you, buddy? Good, Seth. I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing fine. I wanted to alert. I, I know it says you wanted to call in and say something about the Supreme Court, and I'll let you do that in just a moment. Before you do, i got to tell you, you may have been reading my mind. Uh, you had done a thing on Twitter a little while ago on these budget items for this, uh, that, that are in front of the city council, an analysis of them. I just wanted to point people out to follow you at Sam the Paul uh, or the poll. P-O-L, at Sam, the P-O-L. It's a great rundown of what you're doing on wasteful spending and non-necessary spending. I just wanted to point that out. I'll go through it with my audience a little later, unless you want to say something about it now. But I know you called in on the Supreme Court. Well, Seth, thank you for that. And definitely, folks, go check that out, because what I'm going to be doing every week ahead of these council meetings is going through the agenda and actually telling people where I stand, the issues I'd vote no on and why. Oh, people have no idea what's going on over there. No, it's great. It's great. It's great. So I think that's great. But obviously the hot news of the day, Justice Breyer's taken off. So I got to tell you, I have a take that you're probably not going to hear from most people, certainly not on our side of the aisle, but Mitch McConnell ought to round up his troops and tell them, listen, whoever they put up, if you can't vote for them, just abstain, get out of the way. Okay. We can't stop them. They have 50 votes plus the vice president. You can't stop them. So what you should do is they want both the nominee and they want to fight. They want to drag it out. Don't let them. Let it just get out of the way, get it off the table, and let's go back to focusing on 2022 and 2024. I like it, Sam. I think that's really smart. I think that's really good advice. It's in. A, it's going to be interesting a little bit because there has been a shift with Republicans. You may have noticed this, or you feel free to disagree with it. But it used to be that the Republican view from the Senate was a Democrat wins the presidency. We're a minor if we're a minority party. Yeah, advice and consent. The standard has been, you know, barring some kind of odd, exceptional, weird conflict or fraud or something. We're going to or the, the president gets his choice and we're going to vote. Yes, that view has shifted over time, over the last 15, 20 years. I've noticed more and more Republican senators say, no, we're going to take our advice and consent role a little more seriously. And if they don't see the Constitution the way I see it or the way I see it as the founders saw it, they're not going to get my vote. So there has been that growing effort a little bit, hasn't there? There has, and frankly, it's a result of Democrats a uh, long time ago yeah, yeah. just deciding to block every Republican. Yeah, they nominee. broke that window. Yeah, a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, and and so you know now that opened the floodgates. But at the end of the day, just understanding your strategic position, Democrats see these fights as good for them. Yeah, yeah. And so don't give it to them. You know, I'm a big believer that whatever your opponent wants is what you should not do. Exactly right. Exactly, Sam. That you're always seeing around corners. God, this was great. Sam Stone, folks. Thank you, sir. Uh, you want to give out a website? I gave out your Twitter address, at Sam the Poll. you have a website you want to give out yep. before you go? Please follow me, samstone.vote, running for the Phoenix City Council. Time to bring a little sanity back to, back to our city. Sam, you know, uh, you know I'll do anything I can for you. You're doing great work over there, and you will do uh, even greater work when you are on the City Council. You're a good friend and a good man. Thank you, sir. Seth, love your show. Always Thanks. a pleasure. I love it when these public office holders... Uh, 
call in and reference things that they heard on this show, like Schweikert before him and now Sam Stone. And there's the second longest holding man, Rob. On in surprise, how are you, Rob? I'm fine, Seth. Great show so far. Thank great you. Guests, great Thank comments. You. Um, I always I, like how you say so far, because you're right. It's not a fait accompli. <laughs> you know, this thing I'm could assuming. go into a ditch at any moment. No, no, that's fine. I no, mean, you're I, right. Uh, you're right to say it. You're right to say it. <laughs> I'm co- well, because we, we, don't, we don't know what the unknown Yeah, that's right. Have. The unknown unknowns, you bet. Oh, yeah. One, one of my basic themes, I think, and, and this has happened since uh, the election, was that I don't think anybody in Washington is serious about almost anything. And when I heard today about Justice Breyer leaving, um, and then I heard Jen Psaki talk about, you know, a woman of color, uh, I thought to myself, well, well, first of all, um, if you're basing uh, a judge selection, and from what I understand, by the way, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you don't necessarily have to be a law school graduate, a judge, or practicing law in order to get on the Supreme Court. Is that still correct yeah it's 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 true you don't you don't you don't even um in fact the last person who didn't who wasn't uh a law school uh educated uh supreme court justice was my favorite uh robert jackson you hear me invoke him all the time here and oh, yeah. uh, he, yeah. he had a clerk you may have heard of uh named william rehnquist so yeah, I've yeah i guy. mean it has a pedigree <laughs> that is not embarrassing let's say no no, not at all. But, I mean, you know, in, in terms of the unseriousness, this is sort of a, a, a corollary to that, that, okay, uh, once again, just like the presidential cabinet, we're not looking in, in the Supreme Court sense, or they're not looking for somebody to uh, ask them their judicial philosophy. They're going to be looking for uh, immutable characteristics, yep. mm-hmm. uh, a colored woman and that, and that sort of thing. And, you know, if I were that person, again, because we're different I think uh, I would be insulted. I would have enough self-esteem to reject such an attempt and feel humiliated. I would, too. I would, too. Yeah. I would, too. And that must be the difference. Yeah, that must be the difference between us and them. Although, again, knowing that you don't necessarily have to practice law, I'm thinking either uh, Medea or Big Mama might be good choices for them. (laughs) 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 I know. I could be wrong. Also... Um, I think Powerline, one of the Powerline guys brought up that if, if the uh, Democrats are serious, they may want to consider an Asian female because, well, first of all, we don't have any. Uh, second of all, obviously, Asians are probably more and more uh, going conservative and Republican and have those kinds of values. And this may be a political way for them to show up. And uh, Boy, you, you want know, diversity on that court? Put an Asian Protestant yeah. on there. There you go. Two things that don't That's exist great. on the Supreme Court, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I I go with a, a Korean then probably. Hey, well, whatever, uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now the other thing, uh, the only other thing about how unserious they are is the whole Ukraine deal. Yeah. You know, if, if the Soviets, I'm sorry, a Freudian slip there. If the Russians have 130,000 odd troops, and we're talking about sending 8,700 uh, odd troops. You know they're not serious, right? Because that doesn't even that that doesn't even make remote military, tactical or strategic sense. Yep. So again, nothing. Oh, and by the way, is their border more important than maybe our southern? Border? Yeah. Who's going to talk? Uh, yeah. Whose border are they going to talk about more? And the sanctity of it. Ukraine's or America's? Let's see. I think they said it twice about America's that it was important. Twice, Kamala Harris said, "Don't come." I think. 
Is that what they're saying to Putin? Don't come? Is that what 85 troops equals and translates to to a tyrant like Putin? Don't come. Don't don't enter Ukraine. But yeah, they're talking an awful lot, at least in in highfalutin language about the sanctity and sovereignty of Ukraine. I kind of get why they oppose the notion of America first now, don't you? Yeah, because they don't believe in America first. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello, Seth. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, I read an article today saying that the Judiciary Committee is split 11-11 between Democrats and Republicans and that they need a majority vote in the Judiciary Committee to get a nominee to get a floor vote in the Senate. Um, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's true, and I'll double-check on the break. Someone in this audience, no doubt, will know I'm exactly right or exactly wrong on what I'm about to say. But I believe, I believe the Judiciary Committee may have voted no on uh, one of either Robert Bork or Clarence Thomas, and it did still go to the full Senate for a vote. Let me double check on that over the break, Rick. Let me check on that, okay? Okay. Uh, in other words, I think the ju- Judiciary Committee can vote a no recommendation, and it still goes to the floor of the Senate. And, of course, the floor of the Senate is 50-50 plus one, Kamala Harris, right? Correct. So yeah. uh, assuming every Democrat votes for whoever Joe Biden nominates on the floor of the Senate, it could work. I think I'm right about that. There might be someone in this audience or some ones or several someones who know I'm exactly wrong. I'll double check on it. I know exactly where to check. There's a CRS report I, I know on this point. I, I'll have it at my fingertips. So what I'm going to beg of you is just stick with me through the break, and I'll answer it more directly uh, on the other side if you don't mind. Um, but I think I think the Senate Judiciary Committee can vote a no recommendation, and it still goes to the floor of the Senate. You have to be named Rick to join this show. Hello, Rick in Phoenix, another Rick. Hello there, my friend Seth. How are good you? Good to talk to you. <laughs> this has been a great show today. Thank and, you. Uh, although I'm sorry to say I've only gotten to hear bits and pieces up until about a half an hour ago, but uh, so far it's really been great. Thank you. Uh, I want to throw something out there that I have no idea if it's viable or if it's dumb or whatever, but I thought I'd throw it out there and see what you thought and, and see what the possibility might be. What about having a group of Republican leaders stand on the steps of the Supreme Court and give a list of uh, nominees that conservatives could support, uh, like Condoleezza Rice or the uh, uh, woman of color that was uh, elected, uh, uh, what, governor of... uh, Someplace back east, I think it was. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry? No, okay. I'm. Li- yeah, yeah, I was just saying, or, or, yeah. Or others, and maybe on that list have, as uh, Rob, I think, mentioned, have some, or you did, have some Asians, uh, and maybe have some Native Americans. And, uh, you know, just make a list of 
good conservative uh, justices that we could support, that maybe they could support, and uh, uh, make that public. Obviously, it's going to be totally rejected and and spit on and laughed at and everything by the by the left. But we'll get it out there. Um, I'm 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 for almost all of that. I think um, I would. Um I, I I I used to be invited to speak on panels uh, back when I lived in D.C. It's a funny thing. Once you leave D.C., they don't often invite you or they don't invite you as often. You have to live yeah. in D.C. to be an expert, don't you know? <laughs> yeah. And the minute you move to D.C., you are, of course, already an expert. Right. But I remember I used to give lots of uh, be invited to lots of panels on this. And I, 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 I whenever it came to these kinds of issues, I, I, I really did enjoy kind of reiterating the point that uh, I think it was Rob who made it earlier, that you don't have to be um, a, a graduate of a law school um, to be a member of the Supreme Court. I mean, it hasn't happened since FDR, and but when it did, we had a great one, the great last one, Robert Jackson. Yes. And, and if it doesn't have to be, and we keep in mind something that's very important for this movement to keep in mind, if you want to study the Constitution, if you want to learn the Constitution, one of the worst places to go is law school, not just because of the ideology, <coughs> excuse me, but because they don't teach the Constitution. They teach what judges thought about the Constitution. All law schools are one big great case study method, if you will. If you want someone who wants who really has undertaken the study of the Constitution, I'll give you a nominee. It's the person you recommended I read on your last call, if I'm not mistaken. How about the president of a very important and historic college? How about Larry Arn? How about Charles Kessler? I mean, there's a whole slew of people who, and I would love to have their views on the Constitution aired. They're the right ones. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We've talked in the past about uh, the redistricting uh, of legislative districts here in Arizona, including for our state and uh, our state Senate and House races, but it also affects our uh, United States House of Representatives races. And one of the new districts that has been created is Congressional District 4. One of the candidates who recently tossed his hat in that ring is Kelly Cooper, you can follow him on Twitter at Kelly Cooper, K-E-L-L-Y is how he spells his name. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. How's your day going? Oh, it's just fine, sir. Just fine. As I do with every uh, first-time guest, and possibly this could be a, a big part of, of what you want to communicate here anyway, I always ask him to tell tell the audience a little bit about themselves, uh, first-time guests, a little autobiography, how you grew up, what you've been up to, and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Awesome, yeah. So I uh, people might boo this one, but I grew up on the north side of Chicago, so I give a unique uh, perspective on uh, different levels of politics. But uh, I grew up to a single mom. I graduated high school in the mid-'90s and went off into the United States Marine Corps. I served in the infantry and uh, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines. Doesn't mean a lot to anybody, but my military guys will know what that means. And during my, my four years in service, I've traveled to Cuba, all of South and Central America, uh, South Korea, 
Okinawa, Japan, and in uh, some other travels, I spent some time in Italy and South Africa. Mm-hmm. And when I came back from, from my time in the Marines, uh, I went back into the hospitality industry mm-hmm. and uh, continued gaining and growing my skills as uh, a businessman uh, in relation to restaurants. Mm-hmm. I moved out here in early 2000s, um, met my wife, Erin, uh, a few years later, five or six years later. We had our first daughter, uh, Kennedy, and then our son was 13 months later, Mason. I'm actually sitting in the parking lot of their school. I'm going to go pick them up as soon as we're done talking. Oh, okay. And then uh, I, uh, I started working for uh, Melting Pot uh, restaurants in the early 2000s. So I spent... Um, about six months before I became a general manager and grew into a sweat equity position of ownership. And I, I used that to parlay into more ownership over time and hard work and eventually uh, had an ownership stake in the Scottsdale unit, uh, the Arrowhead unit, which I still own a piece of, the Tucson restaurant. And then in 2019, just in time for the pandemic, uh, my business partner at the Melting Pot and another joinee uh, opened BKD's Backyard Joint in Chandler at Pecos and McQueen, the craft kitchen, family-friendly sports bar. Uh, my two children are first and second grade at a Great Heart uh, public charter school. Oh, yes, we know it well. You betcha. You betcha. And what I... What I came to the decision, because politics was never going to be my thing. I was going to ask you, yeah, this doesn't sound, I mean, it sounds like a great background for politics, military, and and small business, but not necessarily. I was going to ask you, what made you decide to leave the uh, frying pan of the kitchen for the fire, so to speak? Uh, It honestly is a great question. Uh, About two years ago, maybe three years ago, when the pandemic really kicked, uh, I was at BKD's with the chef because we had to lay off pretty much everybody else for handing out to-go orders and toilet paper for people that can't find it. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, the the American people and the people of Arizona are being abandoned by their politicians. Mm -hmm. I'm steadily watching my ability to be a successful businessman be eroded from what's under me. And I'm thinking to myself, my children in 15 or 20 years may, may want to be in business, and mm-hmm. I may want to be able to pass this along to them, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that it's going to be available. Mm-hmm. And there's not anyone in politics, or very few people in politics, especially in this district, there's no one, that's actually standing up for protecting us from runaway inflation, uh, the encroachment of uh, socialism and big government on our schools, uh, the, the terrible policies at our, our southern border, international affairs, and you can see that's a total wreck. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said to myself, I could continue opening restaurants, but I'm going to have to come back and look at my kids in 10 years and explain to them why the things that I see and I know you see coming are coming or happened, and I did nothing about it. We're talking. Well, to, we're talking to Kelly Cooper, candidate uh, for Congress in the newly created District Four. Um, his website, at, uh, his website, Kelly Cooper Arizona dot com on Twitter at Kelly Cooper AZ. Take the foreign policy part of it for just a moment, Kelly. I, I, it's in the news now, and it's big now. 
uh, as an item, particularly with regard to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, you with your military background and other thoughts, what's your sense of all of this? What's your sense about what we have right and what we have wrong in our thinking about U.S., Russia and Ukraine relations? U.S., Russia and and the Ukraine relations should have been handled uh, back in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, what we've what we've done is demonstrated to the world that we have weakness of character in our leadership and government. And Russia and China are now seizing what they see as their opportunity to expand their sphere of influence and control. When the 13 of my brothers and sisters were blown up in Afghanistan, it became clear and the point was hammered home with Joe Biden looking at his watch and being more concerned with the time than the caskets coming off of the plane, that, again, we were abandoned. The people that were abandoned in Afghanistan uh, are a prime example of what I was talking about earlier. What do we have right in the Ukraine and Russia, and what do we have wrong? Uh, well, it sounds like we're trying to get some of it right now with uh, threatening the Nord Stream pipeline, but we shouldn't have allowed that in the first place. Uh, we shouldn't have allowed energy manipulation to become uh, a key piece to the Green New Deal being something viable. Uh, we've allowed for a, a power structure to embolden itself in Russia and China, and now we're reaping those rewards. I don't think it's in our best interest to send troops, uh, but I do think that we should be stronger in what our potential responses are to Russian encroachment into sovereign nation. Kelly, the Ukraine is not. Yeah, an go ally. ahead. No, go ahead. My bad. You, you go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Russia, the Ukraine is not an ally, so to speak. It's not a member of the United Nations, and we don't have an obligation to defend them. But we do. We're the United States. We are supposed to be the representation of freedom in the world. We're supposed to be the people that stand forward bravely and say. Sovereignty and freedom-loving people deserve someone to stand up for them. We should have done it six months ago. We shouldn't have allowed for this growth in or emboldenment to, to be there, but we did, and now we're here, and we need to be a little stronger in our rhetoric and in our uh, commitment to standing up for those ideals. Kelly, thank you. This uh, hopefully will be the first of uh, many reappearances here as you effort the uh, campaign to represent us and to uh, unseat Greg Stanton. That would be a consummation devoutly to be wished. I appreciate you taking a little time with us today, and uh, we'll visit again soon. Again, Kelly Cooper AZ is his Twitter handle, kellycooperarizona.com, his website. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, talking a little bit about uh, the politics uh, in and uh, about Arizona. I uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, George Kaloff, who's usually here on uh, Fridays, he had to miss last Friday. He's going to join us in a few minutes to go over the, uh, the Arizona political scene as well as the national political scene uh, with some um, – with some uh, with some interesting numbers and analysis, you're not going to want to miss. Uh, there's also something else that, if I can give you 
an assignment. And if not, don't worry. Uh, there are no rules here. And if you break them, we forgive you, is my motto. <laughs> you like that, Bill? There are no rules here. If you break them, we'll forgive you. So a homework assignment that if you don't do it, I'll walk you through it. And we can do it together if you prefer to do that. And if you want to be at the head of the class, you'll do the assignment. You'll raise your hand. You'll call in and you'll say things about this. But <laughs> there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal, What Are Republicans For? by Joseph Epstein. Joseph Epstein's an old scholar from Chicago, kind of a political philosophy kind of guy. So it's always interesting when when they weigh into partisan politics. Um, he's on our side. He's a conservative. But he's efforting the answer to Joe Biden's repeated stupidness from his press conference last week. Was it a week ago today? Last week where he said, what is it Republicans are for? What is it Republicans are for? Well, have you called any? No, I've been working on Democrats. All right. So the non sequitur is to be expected from Joe Biden. But you know who'd better have a good answer to it? We Republicans. We Republicans. Do we know what we're for? I keep threatening to write a book um, about the Republican Party and what it means to be a Republican. It's funny. Everyone everyone talks about writing books about what it means to be a conservative. No one talks about what it means to be a Republican. And that itself is kind of interesting because there's this disdain. Isn't there a little bit for the party part of it, but not the movement part of it? There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be, because if you want to translate the ideas from the movement, you need a party to do it with. That's why, you know, Bill Buckley and his brother Jim ran on parties they had to create. You need a party. Those parties are no longer um, available for the rest of the country to run on. So we have one choice. It's the Republican Party. It's the Republican Party. What are we going to do to fix it? Yes, Midge Decker was right when she said the conservative movement's cross to bear has always been the Republican Party. But why should that be the case? Why should that be the case? Can we fix it? Can we change it? I think we can, and I think we should. All right, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios, I'm Seth Liebson, George Califf up next. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 